Well, good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. A special welcome this morning to all the members of John and Ailey's family who have been able to join us. It's great that you're here, and we hope that you will really enjoy this time with us. Our service this morning, which will include the dedication of Ethan, will be led by our Minister Katrina. And as ever, everything that you need to follow the service is both on the printed order of service that you have and also on the screen behind me. Please stay if you can and have some tea or coffee at the end of the service. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm working from over this side today, just to confuse you, I'm annoying like that. Can you hear me okay? Because I'm, I'm not quite used to this shiny new gizmo yet. So we are here to worship the God who gives us life. We are here amongst friends, amongst family, and this is a place in which we can meet with God. And so we sing together our opening hymn of praise, Take This Moment, Sign and Space. going to come to God now together in prayer. I will lead us in a short-ish prayer and then after that we're invited to join together in the Lord's Prayer. Um, do that in whatever language and whatever form feels the no most normal and natural for you and if it's something you're not familiar with and you'd like to join in there will be some words on the screen behind me. So let's come to God in prayer. In this moment, in this place, surrounded by friends, and perhaps by people we have met for the first time, we come into your loving presence, God of all creation. As we meet in the name of Jesus, we delight in the mystery that every one of us is known to you by our own name. That we are, every one of us, your children, precious and cherished. Some of us are weary, burdened and fatigued by the pressures of everyday life. Some of us are fearful and certain about the future and what it might hold for us or for others. Some of us are unsure about our own self-worth, unable to grasp the wonder of your delight in us. 
some of us are sad and maybe some of us are filled with regret as we recall mistakes made or opportunities missed. Please touch each of us with your healing love, forgiving our sins and renewing our joy. We recommit ourselves to you, the talents, gifts and skills, the hopes, dreams and ambitions, even the anxieties and the uncertainties. Knowing that it is as we are yours and as we know we are yours that we discover who we really are. God, our parent, who loves us and longs to see us and all creation flourish, hear us as we join our voices together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. I'm going to invite Ailey and John and Shona and the boys to come and join me at the front. Owen, do you want to come and join us? Or do you want to hide? <laughs> Whatever you want to do is fine, Owen. That's all right then, Owen's got snacks, so if we want some, we know where to go. There will, a bit of a way through this um, little act, an opportunity for congregational members to make a promise and we normally say if this is your normal worshipping congregation you're invited to stand if you're able at that point to, to make that promise um, but if it's not your worshipping congregation and you'd still like to make the promise then that's fine feel free to join in or stand up as works best for you so it's always a joy to welcome new people into the family of the church and to celebrate with them and ask God's blessing for them. Today, it is our special pleasure 
to welcome Ethan, to thank God for him, and to support his family in the years ahead. And so I ask Alien John, what names have you chosen for your son? Ethan Wilson. Ethan Wilson. So let's hear some words that were created for use in this community and which today are especially offered for Ethan. Ethan, for you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he lived and showed God's love. For you, he suffered the darkness of Calvary and cried at the last, it is accomplished. For you, he triumphed over death and rose in newness of life. For you, he ascended to reign at God's right hand. All this he did for you, Ethan, though you do not yet know it. And so the word of scripture is fulfilled. We love because God loved us first. And so I ask you, Amy and John, do you thank God for his gift of Ethan? And do you accept the joys and duties of parenthood, promising to give love and care to him? We do. Do you promise to bring up your child within the Christian community and to share your own faith with him? We do. That's brilliant. And Aelia and John have asked Shona to be godmother to Ethan, and she's now going to make her promise. I, Shona, promise to help John and Aelia fulfil the vows they've just made by becoming Ethan's godmother, and share, will share my faith with him as well. As his godmother, I promise to encourage, support, give love and care, and lots of love and hugs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And so if you wish to um, affirm your support and standing if you're able, we now will have a promise for you. Do you promise, in so far as you are able, to offer Ethan and his family your love and care and to join with him, his parents in sharing our Christian faith? We do. Thank you. If you can sit down, if you would like to. This is where I get the best bit. I've waited a long time for this hold. Thank you. You right? Yes. What a lovely boy. Now we're going to take you for a little walk and show you off because this, this is your public. This is, this is your church family. They're a bit scary looking, aren't they, some of them? And a bit strange. But they're really lovely, honestly. And they, they're all here to welcome you and to say, Ethan, we love you. Ethan, we promise to support you as you grow up. When you're gorgeous and cute just now. <laughs> and even if you turn into a stroppy teenager. <laughs> but we will love you always and we will be here for you always. And we will share with you the stories of Jesus and the love of God. So I've just got to do a little bit of hand juggling because I need to get one hand behind you and one hand on your head. There we go. Ethan. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace today and always. Amen. I'll give you back to Mama. I was enjoying that too much there. And Anne is going to play a blessing that you have chosen for Ethan. Ethan, may the strength of the wind and the light of the sun, the softness of the rain and the mystery of the moon reach you and fill you. May beauty delight you and happiness uplift you. May wonder fulfill you and love surround you. May your step be steady and your arm be strong. May your heart be peaceful and your word be true. May you seek to learn. May you learn to live. May you live to love. And may you love always. Amen. Thank you. And can we just do a very gentle round of applause for you? <laughs> <laughs> 
As is our custom, I asked Ailey and John what song they would like to sing. And Ailey said she would like, he's got the whole world in his hands, which we sang a couple of weeks ago, and I played with the words then, and I have played with them again today. Uh, we've tried to personalise it a bit, but I hope you will enjoy joining with us now as we sing this song, after which all children and young people are very welcome to go and join Sunday school or Bible class. We hear from the gospel as told by John. Let us listen together for the word of God. Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I can't believe. A week later, the disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't doubt. Believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe.
it's often said that preachers have only one sermon and that they spend their life preaching different versions of it. Well, I don't know if that's true, but I do know that over the years I have preached several sermons on Peter and several sermons on Thomas and not a few on the two of them. Usually, though not always, on this, the first Sunday after Easter, the one that the church sometimes calls Low Sunday. So why is it that I go back to these characters and these stories over and over again? I think for me, it's because in the minimal glimpses that we are granted of these two men, there is something that attracts me about how real they are, how authentic is the humanity that is portrayed, and that they are also very different from each other. Whenever I reflect on them and their stories, I find a degree of reassurance, usually some encouragement, and yes, occasionally something that makes me stop and think, something that stirs me out of my complacency. And so as we share some reflections today, there may be some thoughts that resonate with you, but there may also be some thoughts that jar, and either is okay. We may be reminded of ways in which we are like these men, or actually how very different we are from them. And again, that's completely okay. All that matters, I think, is we allow ourselves the opportunity to discover, does God have something to say to us, individually and collectively, as we listen to the stories and reflect again? In John's Gospel, Thomas is recorded as speaking on three occasions. The first time, which is recorded in John 11, is when Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick. They are far away. And Jesus says, I'm going to stay. Stay where I am. I'm not going. And after two days, he suddenly decides he is going back to Judea. And all the disciples are concerned for him, for his safety. And, and they say, Have, haven't you forgotten Jesus? Recently, there was an attempt to stone you, to kill you. Why are you going back there? But Jesus is absolutely determined. No, I'm, I'm going back to Judea. And he speaks enigmatically about Lazarus waking up from sleep and then has to admit that, that he's died. And out of all the 12, it's Thomas who speaks out and says something quite remarkable. He says, let us go with him that we may die with him. Now, this is pretty foolish talk, isn't it? I mean, who in their right mind is going to put their life at risk? So I have to assume that there was something about Jesus that prompted Thomas to say that and do that. Something that was stronger than his natural sense of self-preservation, something that overruled his common sense. I wonder if sometimes to be like Thomas is to take a risk, to do something that doesn't really make sense, because there is something strangely attractive and powerful in the person of Jesus. Does that resonate for us? Do we dare to be like Thomas? The second occasion, for those who want the chapter, it's chapter 14, we hear Thomas speaking in response to Jesus saying, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you in my father's house, and then I'll come back and get you and you know where I'm going. <laughs> and Thomas is the one again who speaks out, and I'm sure he's not alone. Actually, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we possibly know the way? Maybe Thomas is hearing this very literally. He thinks that Jesus is gonna go off on his own and establish a home for them, establish something, and then he'll come back and fetch them. But if they don't know where that is, how on earth will they find him? 
For sure, he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Does that ever happen to you when you're listening to somebody or perhaps particularly when you're trying to listen for God and all the words are in the right order and the sentence works, but you really don't have a clue what it means? Perhaps sometimes to be like Thomas is to speak out those questions, to express the confusion that other people, well, perhaps they don't dare do. I wonder if sometimes the risk is the risk is not actually about physical danger, but actually it's the fear of embarrassment that if I say I don't understand, I don't get it, I look a bit foolish. Does that resonate for us? Do we dare to be like Thomas? And then there's the third time, which is the story that Brian just read for us. Resurrection stories have begun to circulate, but for some reason that we will never know, Thomas wasn't there. And actually, in the face of such ridiculously outlandish claims, his comments seem quite reasonable, don't they? I need to see this thing. I need to touch this person. I need physical evidence. I need proof, maybe. And I think what struck me, particularly this week, reading the story again, is there is no instant response. There is no vision for Thomas alone. Jesus doesn't say to him, oh, sorry, Thomas, I hadn't realized you weren't there. He actually has to wait a whole week and live with his doubts and his questions and his sense, perhaps, of being on the outside and certainly of being on the edge. And I think that must have been a lonely place for Thomas, a difficult time, because he didn't know if anything would ever change. Don't forget we've heard the story before. But somehow Thomas hung on in there. He stuck with that group, even though he doubted, even though he had questions, even though he wasn't sure where he fitted anymore. And eventually for him, that moment came, the aha moment, or in my preferred parlance, a hmm moment. We're told that he saw Jesus. We're told that he heard Jesus. And he may or may not have touched Jesus. But we do know that he believed. And then Jesus says something to him which I've always thought was just a teeny bit on the harsh side. Blessed are those who haven't seen and yet they do believe. I think the thing is that in real life, sometimes we do have to live with the questions and sometimes we won't get the answers. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God stay silent? Why doesn't the miracle happen? Sometimes it is really hard to hang on in there, to stick with the church, the community of faith, holding together our hope with our honest uncertainty, our tenacious faith with our very honest unbelief. Does that resonate for us? Do we dare to be like Thomas? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished to. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and will take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he, Peter, would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, Follow me. Simon Peter might be, of all the 12, the one we feel we know the best because we get the most glimpses of him in the Gospels. He speaks the most often. He appears to be impetuous and impulsive. So I've chosen three incidents in his life that are recorded in John's Gospel, and they occur in broadly the same time frame as the three examples where Thomas speaks. The first is recorded in John 13, and it's the incident that inspires what we refer to nowadays as Maundy Thursday. Jesus and his followers have gathered for a meal, and to Peter's horror, Jesus kneels down, taking the role of a servant, and starts to wash their feet. Peter is utterly horrified. And he says to Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? And when Jesus effectively says, yes, Peter's very emphatic, no way, rings through the room. Then Jesus says, well, actually, this needs to happen. And so Peter says, well, in that case, just wash all of me. Wash my head, wash my hands, wash me all over. Peter is one of those people who seems to speak before he thinks. Or maybe he thinks by speaking. Perhaps he is what nowadays we would call an external processor. Certainly, he seems to have no reserve and no shyness, and he speaks out plainly. And he challenges Jesus. This openness of Peter, this plainly spoken challenge, and it gives Jesus an opportunity to explain, or actually to cause even more confusion for Peter, who actually isn't pausing long enough to hear what Jesus is saying, his mind is racing ahead. I wonder how we make sense of our thoughts. Perhaps sometimes it's only when we speak them out loud that we begin to make sense of them. Perhaps sometimes it's only by questioning and challenging that we begin to understand what following Jesus is really about. Perhaps sometimes it's our very foolishness, our very not getting itness that opens the way to new insight. Does that resonate for us? 
Do we dare to be like Peter? The second occasion is on the night of Jesus' arrest. And we meet Peter warming himself by a fire during the cold, dark night. He's terrified. He's worried that he might get arrested himself. But at the same time, he has to be there. He has to see what's happening to this man he has followed so faithfully. Again, to use the language of our day and age, he's conflicted. And when somebody as insignificant as a serving girl recognizes him, he suddenly realizes just how vulnerable he is. And he says, no, I'm not one of his followers. Time passes and two others, one who'd even probably seen him in the olive grove, think they recognize him. And again, he denies it. It's very interesting, if we read the way that John describes this, there is no emotion. It just is recorded that these things happen. They have to go into the synoptics, into the Gospel of Luke, for example, to discover him weeping uncontrollably when he's been caught out and the cock crows. Sometimes, or maybe for some of us, the natural reaction to tragedy is stoicism, an emotionless exterior that can mask an inner turmoil. Certainly that's my natural go-to. And sometimes, and for others of us, the bitter weeping, the outward expression of sorrow or regret or sadness is more natural. And that will be true for my little sister. However he reacted, having done what he did and felt what he felt, he was hugely affected. Whether he stood there in a shocked silence or whether he ran away in tears, this really impacted Peter. Perhaps sometimes we find ourselves conflicted, torn between competing thoughts and feelings. Perhaps sometimes when we are confronted by our actions or our attitudes, we're embarrassed or we're ashamed or we're frightened or some other emotion. Perhaps sometimes we're shocked by our own responses and maybe we need help to find a way to process them. Does that resonate for us? Do we dare to be like Peter? Finally, after all that's happened, Peter gives up and he goes back to what he knows best, fishing. Except that actually he has lost the knack and they catch nothing. Having been served a nice breakfast by Jesus, and with a full stomach, the two men wander along the beach chatting. Jesus, who had given the fisherman the nickname Peter, the rock, because he was strong and stable, now calls him by his birth name, Simon. Vulnerable, Wobbly, tired, and probably emotional, he hears Jesus ask him, do you love me more than anything else, or more than anyone else, or more than any of these other ones amongst whom you have lived do? And then again, do you truly love me? And again, do you love me? Apart from telling us that Peter was hurt after the third question, the Gospels don't give us much clue to his emotions and how he reacted. We tend to read them in. I've just put inflection into Jesus' voice, but I don't know what it actually was. 
Perhaps the way we respond is shaped by our own personalities and our, our own stories. How we think, if I was asked that, how might I feel, how might I react? Does Peter get frustrated because he's repeatedly asked this question? Is Peter afraid he's going to be rejected because he's failed? These questions Jesus asks him are piercing, they're soul-searching, they're demanding, and there are no easy answers. There's a bit of conversation that nobody wrote down. We kind of hear that they carried on talking. And Jesus says to him, follow me. The very same words that he began with all those years before. Maybe there is a crunch point, a point where we need to decide, am I for you or against you? Will I follow this Jesus or, or will I walk away? Perhaps sometimes we feel that we failed so spectacularly that there is no going back. Perhaps sometimes we desperately yearn for acceptance, for a second chance. Does that resonate for us? Do we dare to be like Peter? Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Just follow me. Peter, even in this moment, he just cannot resist looking around to see who else is there and what they're doing. And he notices one of the others amongst their company is also wandering along the beach. And he just can't resist. He has to say, and Jesus, what about him? And the response is as profound as it is simple. You don't need to know that. This is about you, about your choice. Perhaps sometimes it's hard not to look around at other people and make comparisons which can be actually unhelpful. Perhaps sometimes it's hard not to wish we were them. If only I could do this or be that or whatever. Sometimes it's easy to envy other people. And perhaps sometimes it is also easy to criticise or belittle others. Today, as we've thought about Thomas and about Peter, Perhaps we have found some resonances, ways in which they are like us. But perhaps we haven't. Perhaps we don't think they're anything like us. And perhaps there is a risk that in trying to be like Peter or to be like Thomas, we forget to be like us. And maybe the real question today isn't, do we dare to be like Thomas? Or do we dare to be like Peter? But do we dare to be ourselves? Do we dare 
to be the people that God created us to be. The very best version of ourselves. Today, we've celebrated new life as we've welcomed and blessed Ethan. And we've also made solemn promises to support and encourage him and his family so that he and they may become more fully who they are. And the question maybe doesn't just work at an individual level or about our families. Maybe it works at a community level too. Do we dare to be ourselves as Hillhead Baptist Church? Not comparing ourselves to Wellington or QP or whoever it might be, but being the us God makes us and equips us to be to follow Jesus, sharing together the new life he gives to us. Does that resonate for us? Do we dare to be ourselves? to God with our prayers for others and for each other. Let us pray together. God of diversity, we delight to know that each one of us bears your image in our very being. And knowing that we are loved and cherished just as we are enables us to learn to love and cherish others even those we may never meet. So we come to you in prayers for others, those who are like us and those who are very different from us, daring to believe that by speaking these ideas into words, it really will make a difference. As we look at the world around us, in all its complexity and tragedy, we find it almost impossible to formulate words for prayer. As communities in California, in New Zealand, in Sri Lanka, and on the island of Ireland, live in the aftermath of tragedies we have heard about, and as countless other communities live in the shadow of terrors we will never learn about, we pray for the people of peace and goodwill for politicians, 
religious and community leaders, and for decent, ordinary people whose only aim is to bring healing, wholeness and hope to those they love and serve. We think of the people of Spain as the polls are open for their general elections. And in our own Union of Nations, as candidates emerge for election to local councils in England and Northern Ireland, and throughout the island as the European, ele election, European electoral regions, we are troubled by reports of extremism, racism, and intolerance. We pray for that majority of candidates who are genuine and sincere, that they will campaign honestly, enabling people to vote responsibly and with good information, that they will seek the common good. We pray for the diverse projects undertaken by BMS World Mission in Uganda, ranging from village saving schemes to legal advice and advocacy, from agriculture and infrastructure to child protection. We thank you for the people who share their skills and expertise in the service of others and pray they would all have the confidence and courage to fulfill your call on their lives. The Baptist Union of Scotland invites us to pray for Andrew Oliver, serving as a chaplain to the 2nd Battalion of the Royal Highland Fusiliers, and for the Baptist churches in Culloden, Cumbernauld and Cooper. We thank you for what is unique and precious about each of these communities and for their faithful witness in such different contexts, praying that you would empower them to be the people you need them to be. Our church prayer diary reminds us to focus on Tia and her family who no longer worship with us due to the distances involved. We think also of Bayar and his family, back home but still church, searching for a church to be their spiritual home. And we think of those who've passed through our doors as students or as people working in Glasgow over recent years. Especially we think of Yomi, Gavin, Mia, Kenneth, Tamara. We give thanks for all they have shown us of your love and grace. And wherever they are, may they be strengthened and encouraged for the challenges and opportunities that they face. Especially today, we pray for Ethan and Owen and their parents, Ailey and John as they enjoy being a family together, as they discover the wonder of who they are, help us to support and encourage them every step of the way. And we pray for Ian and Mary and their wider family in this strange time of loss and new beginnings, that they will know your comfort of your arms around them and your gentle encouragement for each day. And in a few moments of stillness, we open our own hearts and minds to God, naming in the silence people and situations that are important to us. God of diversity, whose spirit empowers us all, hear our prayers which we offer in the name of our Saviour and friend, Jesus, the Christ of God. Amen.
merciful God who has redeemed us, who loves us and cherishes us. We bring these gifts of our money and we bring also ourselves, offering all in your service and for your sake. Amen.